Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner nonstop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round trip Super Skyway tour. <laughs> I'm not spongin' for rum. It be gold I'm after. Howdy, folks. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the train and remain seated at all times. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show. Your Walt Disney World Information Station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 668. And together we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, the community, books, audio tours, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and you can find everything else at www.radio.com. So we're going to continue our look at Tomorrowland and Walt Disney World this week and focus on where the land, metaphorically, is now and where it may or may not be going as we do some armchair imagineering of our own before looking to you for your opinion and ideas. I'll then have our Disney trivia question of the week, your voicemails, and more updates at the end of the show. So sit back, relax. And enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. I mean, Alien Encounter was considered an e-ticket. The Timekeeper at that point in time was an e-ticket. Space Mountain was an e-ticket. The Astro Orbiter was an e-ticket. I mean, most of what was going on in those, what was considered the the prime attractions of that park were happening in Tomorrowland. Yeah, and even sort of fast-forwarding, not very long, it closes in... 2003, and, and I'm not, I, don't, I know we're not going to go sort of attraction specific, but I think this is an interesting one to sort of touch on a little bit. When it closes in, in 2003, it is this convention center is now rethemed and renamed as a Galactic Federation Prisoner Teleportation Center. And instead of being XS Tech, it's now Stitch's Great Escape. A couple of things happen. We go from this, here is a vision of a potential futuristic community to now here's a potential futuristic community where we are talking about aliens and all these things. And one, we're tying it to IP, which didn't really happen. Remember, uh, Alien Encounter did not use any movie-based IP. Timekeeper was created for the Disney parks. There was no overlay in Space Mountain. There was... So all of a sudden now you're you're bringing in IP and I think you're starting to make that switch to... One, now there's a prison. In, <laughs> now your community has a prison, which is really <laughs> interesting. But a little bit more of... Well, we're going to sort of touch back on that, that um, weird and campy and pulpy sort of 50s type inspiration. Yeah, I think when you, I mean, maybe the kind of pivot starts to happen with Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin, because I will admit, I, I've always kind of been slightly confused by the Buzz Light, like, is, like, is that the cartoon? Or is that the Buzz, it's not Buzz the toy. So it, it kind of lines up with the cartoon. And then now with, with Lightyear coming out, we've learned that, like, and I I hope that I'm understanding this correctly because I have seen so many people give so many different versions of what's going on here with the storyline. But I guess I equate Lightyear to being kind of like Iron Man, the movie in our universe. Mm-hmm. And then you make an Iron Man toy and that's the Buzz Lightyear of Toy Story. And you make an Iron Man cartoon for Disney XD and that's the Buzz Lightyear cartoon. So assuming that that's all correct, I'm, I'm not sure I totally ever really understand. I mean, I love Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin, but I don't really totally get how that fit in with Tomorrowland because, you know, if we're, are we the toy, then we're shrunk down to that size or are we the cartoon? 
and I, I guess that kind of fits, but, but with that pivot with Buzz Lightyear, you start to see, like you say, you, you know, you have Stitch and it's no longer the convention center. And then the, the TTA narration changes to where they're no longer talking about the spaceport anymore. They're, they're literally talking to you about attractions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can ride Space Mountain, you can stop in and see Stitch, you can go be a space ranger instead of what really felt like you know, I mean, you had like a traffic report mm -hmm. on the, you know, the people mover narration. You had stuff about getting a pizza from Earthcrust Pizza. Like, I just, those little changes really made a difference in whether or not that felt like a, an immersive place that you were visiting versus a land with attractions. Right. And I think you're right. I think this sort of marks the beginning of, again, hindsight being 2020. That shift starting to happen, but but I wonder too, how many guests understood exactly what was happening in Tomorrowland? How many guests walked yeah, over to the side of a building to look at the Leonard Burden Star poster, see that it's the the uh, the convention center or the expo center, and start to realize that these places are a place in a fanciful, fictional yet potentially kind of real world future. And all those things start to sort of snowball on top of each other, right? Even like, look, even going from if you had wings to Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, if you had wings certainly didn't fit Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, I don't think anybody's getting that it's supposed to be like a police force or like a law enforcement force of uh, of the land. So you might put certain signage, you, you can call something, you know, Rocket Tower Plaza and Lunching Pad and the Space Bar and it doesn't necessarily click for guests when they come in that that is a real place that they were entering and I don't know if it's because of signage because of messaging because of transition points in and out of Tomorrowland or just a culmination of all of these things I don't want to say mismatch and tried to be forced together but it, it looks great like when you write it down and you talk about all those places and what they are, like, oh, it all makes sense what these different buildings and attractions are. But I wonder how many guests walking in really sort of understood that. Yeah, I mean, I will say looking back, you know, like I said, as a kid, like it really did feel like I had gone somewhere else. And I don't get the same feeling when I walk into Tomorrowland today that I did then. But is that because there's no longer a narration? Is that because there's not signs? Is it because of the attractions? Like what, what best conveys that message to guests? Is it the facades of the building or, or does it require all of these things? Because, you know, since the late nineties, the attractions haven't changed that much, but I mean, but clearly you're getting a different vibe or a different feel from it than you did then. Yeah, one of my favorite um, one of my favorite sayings, and I think it's apl applicable not just in Disney but in in business, uh, whether you own a website or brick and mortar store, and it's it's a I think it's a brilliant Michael Eisnerism that everything speaks right, everything tells a story, everything has to sort of make sense, um, and and again applicable to to any business that everything that you do, every piece of work, everything you put out is a reflection on something. I wonder if all the things that, that were meant, meant to speak in Tomorrowland, <clears throat> excuse me, spoke loud enough. And what I mean by that is still to this day, you'll walk in and you'll see that even the plants, even the, the fake plants, the, uh, as you go by Tomorrowland, there are these metallic palm trees that have metallic fronds and, and one is closed and all the other ones open. They have these little, what looks like metallic coconuts dangling those are meant to be like um, solar energy collectors because the Tomorrowland, uh, sorry, the Space Mountain post-show area, the tomorrow was supposed to be the Tomorrowland Power and Light Company. It's supposed to be things that help to power Tomorrowland. I'm not sure anybody ever walked up to those and go, oh, I get it. These things are collecting energy, and that's why the Tomorrowland Power and Light Company is right there, and all these things sort of make sense. I think there was a... a a disjointedness of 
the overall narrative of tomorrow, and and it remains obviously to this day. I think even more so uh, to the overall narrative of Tomorrowland. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit I was one who, until I listened to your audio guide, I didn't know that's what the purpose of those were. I thought, oh, they're like they're spacey trees. <laughs> like those are cool and i thought i i literally thought well i i remember one time looking at it and thinking well do those does like are those solar power do they open like like, like I, I thought like well maybe really yeah well well no like i thought well is like does the solar does the power of the sun cause the fronds to open and then if i come back at nighttime are they is it like closed up because there was the one that was closed so i thought well maybe that one just broke i don't know you know <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just, I, I mean, it gives you kind of a futuristic environment, but yeah, I mean, unless there's a sign there telling someone and then they actually stop to read the sign, you know, that's not really part of the story that they're getting. I think even when the sign, forget signs, I think even when there's more than signage <clears throat> like video, people still didn't get it. What am I referring to? <clears throat> Sorry. 1994, FedEx takes over the sponsorship of Space Mountain, all that post-show Ryko 1 for RCA goes away. Now in the pre-show area, do you remember Space Mountain TV, SMTV, which was this, it was, the idea was that you were watching TV that would be on the air in this futuristic community. Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit, was crazy Larry. He was a used satellite dealer, um, uh, Glenn Shaddix, who was Otho from Beetlejuice, was a um, uh, Ray Cathode, who was hosting like the Mars fashion show. Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell was in there um, uh, as, as sort of a host. But I don't know if anybody watched it and went, oh, I get it. This is TV that people who are living in this community are getting. In hindsight, all the signs, literal and figurative, were there. But I don't know that any guests walked out and go, I, I get it. This is meant to be uh, this real sort of community of the future as opposed to here's a bunch of, of connected themed attractions. But unlike Liberty Square or Frontierland, it is meant to be a, a space and place of real community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely remember the pre-show and. And again, I was like, I was younger the first time I saw it. And I, I, I just, my, my one memory of it is, well, that, that, those people were loud. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, cause it was like that car salesman type yeah. ad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of a good, like an interesting place to pivot towards the future because, or toward the present, because there's just kind of this almost gradual decline of, of what was kind of at its peak there at 94 and then things just start to kind of fade away. Mm-hmm. And I think now, especially in this, in this somewhat odd lengthy transitory period as the Tomorrowland arcade goes away, Tron light cycle power run is coming in the galaxy palace theater is is now an empty space. It's just a wall where the where the old theater used to be. You do sort of I think that progression towards moving away from trying to convince guests that there is a storyline going on here has gone on. Um and, and and I think that happens in a lot of places, not necessarily intentionally, but sometimes for one reason or, or another, the the deep stories that are crafted for attractions and lands are lost as Imagineers leave, cast members change over, um, new things come in and and some things are are replaced, um, which is a shame because I've, I've said for years, I wish there was sort of this great big book of Imagineering that, that if you wanted to, you could go to and see what these overarching storylines could be. I think now as Disney continues to move towards your mobile device being a a centric part of your experience, I wonder if you're able to layer on more of those stories, but we'll get to that as we talk about the future. But I do think right now, Kendall, and as we're recording this in, in January of 2022, where one of these buildings still sits empty, 
I, I wonder what the future of the Monsters, Inc. laugh floor is going to be. Um, Tron is is being constructed, and I think there's I think that there's a, a sense of opportunity, but I certainly don't feel like Tomorrowland has that. Look, they've even, for whatever reason, they've removed some of the, the storytelling elements. They've removed the Robo Newsboy. They removed that futuristic phone booth that I love taking people over to because nobody ever walked up to it. Nobody ever like hit the buttons and listened to all the different phone messages that were on there. They were fun and they were funny and they were they they again helped sort of connect the the, the macro dots. But as those small things get taken away, it's it's representative of a larger shift away from that 1994 storyline. Yeah, and I mean I think the most obvious transition that happened with that was the removal of the Tomorrowland sign and the the replacement with the new very streamlined, very clean, but also still calling back to the you know the 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 white you know like I'm thinking the way that the si- the signs looked at if you had wings mm-hmm. and you know the way that signage was and um just kind of taking a like removing that the way that the astro orbiter looks like i wonder how how long will the astro orbiter continue to look the way that it does now or will it be receiving some type of change to match this you know this sleek apple ikea looking <laughs> version of the future and not that that's a bad thing i mean you think about the way that that Tron light cycle power run looks in Beijing. And it's, I mean, that's, it's very kinetic in a very smooth way. And I think we're, you know, we're kind of seeing that transition happen and that maybe that's where some of, you know, those elements like, you know, the removal of some of the items you mentioned and, and moving towards this simplified retro future look. Yeah. And I've, and I've said, I said a few years ago, I think I did like on an end of the year show that I predicted that Tomorrowland as a whole, not individual attractions, Tomorrowland as a whole was prime and ripe and ready. And the handwriting of my feeling was was on the wall that Tomorrowland was about to get a major facelift. And I still believe that. Um, I, I believe that actually it, it probably has been something that's been in the works possibly for a while. Obviously, the shutting down of the world has, has changed the timelines for everything. <clears throat> Excuse me, but to your point, Tron Light Cycle Power Run, and yes, it does sort of sit off in the corner and not necessarily within the sight lines of walking in, but th- that pairs up nicely with that very sleek, clean, modern Tomorrowland entrance arch, and it's everything in between that doesn't necessarily mesh together. I think those almost as bookends to the land are indicators that there is a refreshing of this land that is forthcoming. Because when you look at it from a 30,000 foot view and see these other attractions and buildings and even retail that hasn't really been touched or updated in years, especially with so many other lands getting some of that uh, attention, I, I still believe in my little heart of hearts that in the very near future, no pun intended, Tomorrowland is going to get a relatively radical update that will make it a much more cohesive storytelling narrative. Well, and it is kind of interesting too to go, you know, to call back to what we were talking about toward the beginning of the show of this dilemma of having to fight the future on two fronts in Florida. Now they've, you know, it's, it's no longer future world Mm -hmm. and not that the, the front of Epcot won't still look modern. I mean, the, the new lighting package on spaceship earth, the lighting, the side lighting, the neon on the sides and everything, it still has a very optimistic future look to it, but they've, you know, they've removed that verbiage and, you know, they're moving to those world communities. So now are they just going to fight the future on one front in Tomorrowland or will there be kind of, you know, I don't know what you pivot to 
exactly because like i like i said like tron light cycle power run seems very futuristic just from the way that it looks and also in concept um to bring in a very popular word word of the day tron is like the the literal epitome of the metaverse <laughs> yeah you know, I mean, and we how much have we heard lately discussions of Disney and the metaverse? Like, obviously, that's, you know, Tron is still a thing of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if, yeah, like if Tomorrowland is finally going to get to be Tomorrowland, just in a maybe a different way than than the spacey Tomorrowland we had of 1955. Right. It, it's got to find a way to negate the inherent problem in the name, which is the representation of tomorrow when Tomorrowland is happening faster, right? The the idea that technology used to double every seven years is 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 incredibly shorter, is an incredibly shorter period of time now, which is why Carousel of Progress's final scene could never represent the future because the second that you start putting in AR, VR, meta stuff now, it's going to be outdated by the time the attraction's finished. What has been happening over the last few years that I think some guests, some love for different reasons and some don't is, and I'm, I'm using a very broad stroke of the brush here, but the Pixarification of the land or, well, Tomorrowland is where attractions go if we can't figure out where else to put them, right? If there's no more room at Hollywood Studios, there's nothing left in Magic Kingdom, just, we'll just put it in Tomorrowland. We'll sort of, we'll put a sort of spacey theme on it and we will make it fit. What does this next iteration look like? Is it meant to be this future world-ish proving ground of, of next-gen technology? Is it this optimistic, futuristic type view? Um, is it meant to sort of, does it merge the this fanciful view of the future with the Epcot city planning solutions of the future and sort of blend that into some sort of modified version of this being a futuristic community? Um is this, you know, do you sort of look to some sort of, and I don't think this is the direction that they go, this utopian type community using realistic future technology blended with a little bit of, you know, fantasy and, and sci-fi. There's a lot of sort of competing and conflicting I don't want to say there's a lot of conflict, completing and conflicting ideas that that are in Tomorrowland now, and you wonder what gets embraced and what gets removed as we sort of move to the next phase. And I'm and I'm almost sort of using Tron Light Cycle Power Run as that that foundation because it is the new it it's going to be the new bright shiny object for a long long time. I don't know that you can sort of retrofit that into the story of this being a realistic vision of the future. You know, so is it is it fantasy? Is it steampunk? Is it um is it pulpy? Is it utopianism? Like where do all these things and and how do you sort of marry that with with IP? How do all those things come together? Yeah, I mean, I I think you also have to think about too. Like we're coming at this from the perspective of perspective of people who have visited Walt Disney World for 25 years, 50 years and you know are heavily invested in this, but what like what is the average guest's perception of Magic Kingdom? What are they expecting to see when they walk in those gates? Like are they are they expecting to see true stories? Are they expecting to be to see something they've never seen before, like something new, fascinating, top technology? Are they expecting, you know, to be immersed in what they know, Disney films? You know, are they something all of the above? I mean, obviously, there are some true stories, like you mentioned, that are told in, in Liberty Square and in Frontierland. 
Although I would say probably out of all the things I mentioned, maybe that's what people expect the least when they come to Magic Kingdom. I mean, I think if you're looking for for a true story, most people would, ex- you know, the average guest would probably expect to see that at Epcot. I I think the average guest walking into the Magic Kingdom is expecting to see something fantasy. Um, with that, like, or, or maybe I shouldn't say fantasy, but like that Hollywood version of reality. Like, you have the Hello Dolly version of Main Street, uh, you know, the Main Street of America. You have this satirical, cheeky version of exploring and, and adventure. And, and you kind of have, you know, how the West was fun in Frontierland. <laughs> and and like really, the, the, only, <laughs> the, the only really true thing you have right now is Hall of Presidents. And sadly, a lot of guests walking in there don't do Hall of Presidents. So it's, you know, it's kind of interesting that you're not necessarily looking for that real future. So when I said that earlier of like, maybe Tomorrowland finally gets to be Tomorrowland, maybe it gets to be like, you know, that the, the optimism of what could be, but maybe never will be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this idea Walt had of, of, not a utopia, because that sounds, I don't know, <laughs> but just like if, if, you're, if your imagination could run wild and make the world the best of what it could be, kind of like what the movie Tomorrowland was supposed to be. I, you know, that movie was so sad to me because it started out with such great <laughs> promise and then, and it's just like, it just didn't get the ending that it deserved. But, you know, the, the beginning of what that city looks like. You know, that doesn't have the campiness of Tomorrowland 94. It has some kind of thing that to us feels like fantasy because it feels like, you know, humanity's never going to cooperate to that extent mm-hmm. to get to that Tomorrowland. So there is a fantasy involved in it, but there's also this hopefulness about it. And I think that fits with Magic Kingdom. Something you said made me think specifically when we we're when you're talking about Tomorrowlands, it made me think of um, the Tomorrowland in Hong Kong and specifically the Iron Man experience. And I remember when I went to Hong Kong Disneyland, um, one, how incredibly hot and humid it was. And I'm from Florida. So but I remember walking into Tomorrowland and I didn't stop and go, OK, what's the story here? Let I was so excited just to go and ride the Iron Man experience. I think that experience for me is representative of probably 95% of guests that come to Walt Disney World. They're not going, all right, hold on, kids. Let's get establishment of place and space. Where's the story? But then when I got into the queue of the attraction and I realized that Tony Stark was recruiting us as guests in Hong Kong Disneyland to fight off these aliens that were coming in to attack Hong Kong. I was like, oh, I get it. I smiled because it all it all sort of made sense for me in that regard. I didn't necessarily need to be sort of laid on with, you know, like what would say, like you don't have to sort of lay it on with a trowel. What the story is, I got it in that individual attraction. I don't know that I necessarily needed to connect the dots. Well, how does the UFO zone and Autopia and and Stitches Encounter and Buzz Lightyear, how does this all tie in? Because I was just loving the fact that Tony Stark was recruiting me for this amazing attraction. Well, and I think that's something, too, for the average day guest, you know, like it or not. And I'm probably going to like, sorry if you get hate email for this, (laughs) but Bob Chapek's not wrong when he says that IP is what sets Disney apart. When Disneyland opened in 1955, there were not children's museums in every large city in the country. There were not other theme parks. Today, there is. There, there, and there are ima- former Imagineers working at some of these places. You know, taking what they learned and producing it in other cities around this country and around the world. So now today, what sets Disney apart? And it's the intellectual property that most guests would expect to see when they walk in those doors. So whether that's, 
you know, a literal interpretation like, you know, Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor mm -hmm. or a more loose interpretation like Tron Light Cycle Power Run, there's still a connecting point there for people. You hit like, on the operative me, word, expectation. It's what guests yeah. are expecting. The average Disney fan that is bringing their family or friends to Walt Disney World is expecting to see characters and experiences from the movies, from the TV shows, like, and and while striking a balance, look, I think Tokyo does does an amazing job at Disney Sea of creating its own IP, and and Disney does overall as well. But for the average guests, the things you see on screen and the games you play, you want to experience those things in the park. It was it is remains to this day the foundation of Disneyland. Fantasyland is the center of Disneyland for a reason. Walt wanted you to walk in and have a three-dimensional experience based on the characters and the stories you saw on screen. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that too because I, I actually wrote a piece for the blog last year, um, not long after I had given some time to think about the Dreamer statue that's going to be in Epcot. And I remember I wrote within that piece, because just talking about like Walt's dream for Epcot and and what that was intended to be versus what Epcot is today. And I think this is also applicable to Tomorrowland. And I actually asked the question in that piece, like, is it unfathomable to believe that Walt would see the value in using a character like Moana to teach a child about the water cycle and the importance of water? especially now with regards to the environment. I not only don't think that's unfathomable, I think it's likely mm -hmm. that he would have done something like that, you know, to leverage characters that have such a massive audience to do the very things that were so important to him and, or seem to be, I mean, I don't purport to know exactly what Walt thought, but I think you can incorporate IP in, very good ways and you know i mean personally if i had my way i one of the attractions i have wished for the last 10 years existed in tomorrowland is get rid of stitch's great escape and turn that into a planetarium with wally and eve where the da the dancing music and now with the the projection capabilities you have, like you see mm -hmm. in Shanghai's Pirates, you could literally project Wally and Eve into the middle of that theater, and then they could fly up on amidst the stars. Like this is that's my dream attraction for Tomorrowland: incorporating something that I already know and love, and teach me about something that I don't know everything about. Brilliant. It's, br it's a brilliant idea. And I love, love, love Wally so, so very much. And I think that brings up the interesting point. And maybe this is sort of a, a jumping off point for you who's listening to be involved in this conversation about what's next. What does the future hold? What does tomorrow hold for Tomorrowland? Do you start to make it that hybrid edutainment type of thing? Is there, and I'm not saying... I'm not saying that there is. I'm just sort of, you know, spitballing ideas. Is there now a corporate responsibility to say, hey, we need to sort of leverage these characters, bring them in, create something that's entertaining but educational as well? We need to use Tomorrowland to help teach people in a fun way about the environment. Um, and, and you can sort of expand or contract that however you like. Is it about a showcase of technologies? Is it a place where you bring in IP, whether it is Tomorrowland futuristic based or not? Um, you know, assuming that that all licenses were were available, is it a place for Marvel characters? Right? We're, we're, we're desperate to see Marvel characters eventually come to the park. I believe that deal with Universal will eventually go away. We will see it. Do Mar you know, is, is Tomorrowland a place where, like in Hong Kong, like it takes place elsewhere in, in, in other Disney parks around the world, is it a place for Marvel? Um, is it about 
science and technology? Is it meant to be a place to showcase current and future technologies? You run into the, to the, the Tomorrowland paradox once again. Um, or is it this sci-fi, steampunk, pulpish look at a fun vision of the future there's no right or wrong answer, right? Everybody's, I think, going to have, and this is such a, a wonderfully subjective question, which I think invites ideas like yours, which I absolutely love, uh, of what Tomorrowland can be. Maybe it doesn't have to be this sort of cohesive narrative that flows from one building, one attraction to the next, but um, an overarching theme in which all the attractions within speak to well uh, yeah and along those lines i i have high hopes for what the possibility is in tomorrowland just by looking at what was done in the last year with uh the polynesian and the contemporary where they took and they respected what has been for 50 years they incorporated intellectual property and they modernized it somehow all at the same time i mean I, you know, hands down props to all of the Imagineers that worked on those projects, because that's an incredibly, has to be an incredibly difficult balance to achieve. It, you know, like you look at the contemporary, somehow they were able to continue to honor Mary Blair while incorporating the Incredibles into those rooms and maintaining what was, but it also, it all feels fresh and new. And a new guest walking in is, you know, not hindered by those of us who want to see what's old and our things that we love are not, you know, eliminated or brought down by what's new. And I think that kind of, you know, what was done there, if they can accomplish that with Tomorrowland, I think that would be the perfection. I agree. And I think this is, is again, this is a fascinating question for us all to talk about. Uh, again, I, I do go deeper into the history and current-ish state of Tomorrowland on the audio tour of Tomorrowland, which you can find on Apple Music, Spotify, or if you want the files for yourself, you can get it on the WW Radio site. I will put this question in the clubhouse on Facebook at www.com slash clubhouse. I'd love to have that conversation there. I would love to hear your thoughts or ideas by calling into the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Let me know what you think tomorrow should look like in Tomorrowland. Uh, what ideas do you have? What would you like to see? What would you potentially not like to see? And we'll sort of play a little armchair imagineering. And certainly please go to the blog over at www.radio.com. Kendall has a number of great articles there. I'll also link to past shows that Kendall has been on again about unrealized attractions, things you can't believe ever happened, things that were never built, and uh, some things that never were. And, um, yeah, this is, I think Tomorrowland, it, it's so fun to talk, to look back at the past and the present and to speculate on what the future might be. Yeah, I just have to say thank you for letting me have a conversation with someone about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Kendall has a young child at home, so this is great. This is probably <laughs> yes. the best daytime conversation. And I think we, we certainly have some ideas for, for some other segments coming up in the future. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I love the Wally idea. Gosh, I love the Wally idea so much. Yeah. I just lo I love that music. Like that that music that plays in that scene of that movie is like a happy place for me. And and, and bring back sandwiches too. time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, hear, taste, and remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. And what I mean by that is that as part of the WW Radio Nation family, you literally help bring every episode of WW Radio to life 
every live broadcast from the parks, the contests, and giveaways. They are literally all thanks to and because of and for you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month, plus get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests. We do group video calls. You have access to our private Facebook group, shirts, stickers. You can get monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, early access to events, and much more. More importantly, your support helps our Dream Team project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you, we've raised more than $500,000 for Make-A-Wish to help children with life-threatening illnesses visit Walt Disney World. I also want to thank some new and longtime members of the nation, including Bucky Gaunt, Deborah Fisher, Kerry Lee, Eric Garcia, and Amy Ferguson. To find out how you can help the show, you can visit www.radio.com support. And before we get to this week's trivia question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to tell me who or what is Big Bertha. Again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and we're also very creative and very funny sometimes in your answers. And Big Bertha is the organ at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. And if you go into 1900 Park Fair, which I need to do a live restaurant review of soon, by the way, you'll find Big Bertha, which is an antique band organ built in Paris around the turn of the century. Of course, you're not going to find Big Bertha sitting on the ground somewhere. Instead, you have to look up because she's installed into the wall about 15 feet above where you dine. And Big Bertha isn't just there for decoration. She actually plays music, not just sort of piano music, but drums and bells and cymbals which were originally played using the old piano rolls. Big Bertha was actually used from about the early 1900s to about 1955 in an amusement park in Grand Rapids, Michigan, called Ramona Park. And after that park was demolished in the 50s, the three, actually, antique band organs were put into storage. They were found in Alabama in the early 60s, restored, and eventually found their way over to Disney's Grand Floridian Resort. And now I'm hungry. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio pin, keychain, and bonus mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Melissa Beal. So, Melissa, congratulations. You use the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, I want you to tell me where in Walt Disney World you can find Neptune, or at least a statue of him. Where can you find Neptune? Now you have until Sunday, February 27th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on the podcast there, use the online form. Again, you're going to play for a WW Radio pin and keychain, which are available exclusively as contest prizes, as well as a bonus mystery prize. So good luck. And have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Please share your thoughts about Tomorrowland, its history, its current state, and what you would like to see, or maybe do a little imagining of your own, what you wish you could see in Tomorrowland in the future. You can come be part of the community and conversation, not just about this question, but anything in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars universe by joining the, our Facebook group at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you have a question about Disney history or Marvel or Star Wars or vacation planning, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. I'll answer it on a future episode. Or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Please join me this and every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live as I take you with me as we walk and talk in the parks or from the home studios where we discuss this week's podcast, what is new and news in Walt Disney World, my top five live, Disney Plus Pick of the Week, your questions and more. Please make sure to turn on notifications at www.radiolive.com as well as on the WW Radio Facebook page, just to be sure, at facebook.com slash Radio. It's very important this week because I am going to be traveling to a Star Cruiser very, very far away. I'm going to get a sneak peek of the Galactic Star Cruiser this week. I'm hopefully going to be able to bring some of that to you live. I don't know. Stay tuned this Thursday, February 24th. If not... Also stay tuned on Tuesday, March 1st, 
as I'll be traveling with Becky Mankin and my family, by the way, on the maiden voyage, the first official voyage of the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. I want to take you with me onto the Halcyon and share as much as I can with you live. If I can't do it live, because I don't know what the signal is like in space, I'm also going to share as much as I can in the clubhouse, as well as on my Instagram, where I will try and share stories and some photos at Instagram.com slash Of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So please visit our events page at www.radio.com slash events as well as our events page at facebook.com slash Radio. There you'll find out about upcoming meets of the month, our three currently scheduled group cruises, including our August cruise on the Disney Wish, our December Very Merry Time cruise in the Disney Wish, and our April Disney Fantasy 8-night overnight in the Bermudas and Bahamas. Plus, we have lots more coming up, including D23 Expo, some other on-the-road events, a few more cruises, and a few more surprises. Please visit LouMangelo.com. If I can help you turn what you love into what you do with one-on-one or small group coaching, my Momentum Weekend Workshop, or speaking to your event, your conference, or your school. Also, my Momentum Weekend Retreat in Walt Disney World is coming up in May. I only have one seat left. You can visit LouMangelo.com slash retreat to find out more. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin and the entire team over at Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. It's who I've used and, more importantly, who I've recommended for more than 15 years because I love them, I trust them, and I trust them in helping you find not only the best possible prices and discounts, but because of the incredible personal service that every Mouse Fan Travel affords their clients. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com for a free, no-obligation quote. And finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. How? By literally telling a friend or by sharing a link to this or your favorite episode on social. Tag me at Lomangelo. It is very, very helpful. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. You can also now leave a quick rating over in Spotify podcast as well. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Foreman J14, who says a Disney legend. Thank you, but far from. I found the podcast in 2019 when I was planning a baby moon to Disneyland. Congratulations. Before our first son was born on November 18th, the same birthday as Mickey and my daughter. Three years later, two more trips to Walt Disney World and we're welcoming our second son. Congratulations. And I still listen to every episode as soon as I can. It really is a standout in terms of podcasts in general. The variety of content on one subject is outstanding. And it's clearly the best Disney podcast around. Wow, thank you so much. I have a huge smile on my face. Or the GOAT. Wow, as they say nowadays, if you're a Disney fan and or former cast member like myself, very cool, you found your podcast. My husband would say he's a fan. Actually, you're a friend, not a fan. Now, too, thank you for giving us the shared fandom. Foreman J, thank you. Congratulations. I sincerely appreciate you. And I appreciate you for taking the time to listen, for your friendship, your support, and for being here as part of this community and this extended family that we share together. I love you. I appreciate you. Please go out and choose the good. Find the good in everybody and everything that you encounter. I promise you, there's some good there and even some of the bad stuff. Because if you spread positivity, I promise you that that positivity will spread. And you'll not only make somebody else happier, but it will just make you feel better. I promise you. If there's ever anything I can do for you to show my appreciation, please let me know. So until next time, our next live show and next week's podcast, I hope that this truly is your best week ever. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Tom Free calling from New York City. And I just wanted to call with an answer to your question because of WDW Radio. I have a source of Disney, Disney information, entertainment, and community that I know I can trust to be positive and respectful and reliable and consistent. Whether it's uh, whether it's on the podcast or live in real time, I know if you, Lou, or one of your guests wants to make a point about something, I know I'll not only get to hear that point made without a lot of interruptions, but uh, also that it won't be infused with negativity or mean-spiritedness or disrespect. And that's really huge, at least to me it is, because um, a combination of those qualities is, it really is a rarity. And even though you, knowing you, Lou, you'd probably say we're the ones that make it that way. It, in the end, it's really you because you're the one who sets the sets the course and the tone. So in that sense, um, I think you bring out the best in all of us in the community. 
So thank you a million, and uh, keep up the fantastic work, and happy 15th, Lou. Thanks so much. Bye. Hi, Lou. I was just listening to your latest podcast. This is uh, Susie from Colorado, and um, I wanted to answer your question. Because of WDW Radio, I have a greater appreciation for the details in the parks. I love your top ten reports. And I have a desire to see the parks around the world, particularly in Japan, and to go on a Disney cruise. I love your trip reports as well. In fact, I have a lot of um, FOMO when I listen to them, but that just makes me want to go to them even more. Thanks so much for all you do. See ya. Hi, Lou Mangello. It's Chuck Lyonberger calling. I wanted to call and congratulate you and the entire WDW radio crew on 15 years of just pure awesomeness. Uh, I have had the pleasure and the distinct honor of being a, a guest on this show several times. And, you know, it has been some of the highlights of my Disney experience. You asked the question, please finish this. Because of WW Radio, I have. Well, because of WDW Radio, I have become a travel advisor with MEI and Mouse and Travel. That would have never, ever happened without you and the entire WDW radio community. I never would have met Becky. I would never have made all of these incredible friends and had these incredible adventures. And I know many, many, many more incredible experiences are yet to come. So thank you, Lou. Thank you to you, your passion, your dedication, and that of your entire family for providing this incredible opportunity for all of us. So congratulations on 15 years, and here's to 15 more. Hey, Lou, it's Steve Medina. I wanted to call and congratulate you on 15 years of WDW Radio. Um, I've been a listener since the start, actually since it was uh, Mouse Tunes. So I I am one of the, I guess you would call a homesteader or uh, inaugural uh, listener. And I want to thank you for the 15 years that you've given. Um, and to answer your question, because of WDW Radio, I know that I have at least one more person, middle-aged 50-year-old, 50-something-year-old like myself, who geeks out on Disney and that it is a normal, or maybe not so normal, but definitely acceptable way of living your life. God bless you, Lou, and to 15 more. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, it's Steve Medina again. I just wanted to make a suggestion for uh, a show where uh, somebody interviews you to get to know the real Lou Mangello, you know, not just uh, Disney Mangello. Just a suggestion. Take care.